watching my fellow Americans with your host, Spike Owen. Yes! Yes! It's me! It's the first Ask Me Anything of 2021. Keep clapping. Keep clapping if the Spike answers your question miracle. How would we know that you wanted me to answer your questions if you didn't keep clapping? Welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. Thank you so much for joining me on this very first AMA Q&A. I'm not sure. I guess that's really the same thing, right? Q&A, AMA. The first time that you get to ask me questions directly of this year of Our Lord 2021. This is a Muddy Waters Media production. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Anchor, Twitter, Periscope, iTunes, Google Play, Float. Go to float.app. Ditch all other social media. Go to Float. Right now, just go to Float. Okay, check us out. Well, not till after this is over. Then go to Float. Float Float.app. Sign up today. Uh, We are on Twitch, apparently. We're on Discord. We're on LinkedIn. I just found out we're on LinkedIn and we're on all podcasting apps. Check us out everywhere. Like us, follow us, five star us, subscribe to us, whatever it's called on whatever platform you're using to watch or listen to this live or pre-recorded. Be sure to do that thing. And also uh, hit the bell. If you're on YouTube, hit the bell, subscribe and then hit the bell. Because the last thing I want is for your phone not to blow up every single time we go live for anything at all. I don't want that to happen to you. 
I don't think you want that either. And be sure to share this right now if you're watching this live. Actually, if you're not, if you're, I don't care if you're watching it live, live pre-recorded, share it right now. The last thing that I want is for you and your closest loved ones to miss out on a roughly hour long libertarian AMA Q&A session on a Wednesday night or whenever you're sharing this. Give the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids love it. This episode, of course, is brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest growing waffle-related caucus in not just the Libertarian Party, but in any political party in any country on any planet in the history of humankind. That is, it's, I mean, it's really just the one, but... Be sure to join us today by going to the Facebook page, Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, and be sure to get your own Waffle House Caucus button by going to muddywatersmedia.com, clicking on the store button, and then looking for the button to, to buy. You can buy the button at the store. This episode is also, of course, brought to you by Nug of Knowledge, smokable CBD. That's what we're doing here, folks, smoking CBD. Uh, Nug of Knowledge is not your everyday CBD supplier. For First of all, they're selling you smokables. Also... In addition to that thing that makes them different, uh, also a portion of the profits go to help end the war on drugs. Uh, They also have a compassionate use program that donates medicinal hemp products to veterans and people with disabilities who cannot afford these uh, CBD remedies for themselves. Many people who use it say that it helps them with joint pain, stress relief, or a much-needed pick-me-up. Be sure to use checkout code SPIKE to get 10% off because I'm selling smokables. Back to my roots. This episode is brought to you by, of course, personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. If you live anywhere near the Tampa Bay area of Florida, or if you're even visiting there and you find yourself personally injured, well, I've got a silver lining to that. Chris Reynolds probably can get you money of some amount. I I mean, it would depend, I guess, on, on how damaged and injured you were, but he can help. ChrisReynoldsLaw.com or just Look for his smiling face because he may have he may have followed your ambulance all the way to the hospital. Actually, they don't let you in the hospital right now. So um, he might be waiting outside your door like with a boombox. ChrisReynoldsLaw.com. The intro and outro to this, to, to, yeah, to, intro and outro music to this and every episode of My Fellow Americans comes from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Dobby. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook. Go to his SoundCloud. Go to his Bandcamp at jodavimusic.bandcamp.com buy his entire discography. It's like 25 bucks. It's some of the best music that you will ever, ever hear. So be sure to do that. Thank you so much, Mr. Joe Davi. I'd like to thank Le Bleu, purified, ultra pure drinking water for this. I got I got this from my, from my dad. Uh, it's oxygenated with ozone and it also, it is kosher and made in America, just like me. Thank you, LeBlue, for this delicious water, Blue Vanaka. It's actually got good. I was parched during my Kennedy interview. Shout out to Teron Turks' mom and him. As always, folks. 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 It is now 2021, and uh, we have not done an AMA in quite some time. Uh, I was doing them, gosh, at least once a month. Uh, during the campaign, mostly because I didn't have time to book guests because I was traveling the entire whole ass continental U.S. every day. And so it was a little difficult also getting guests. So it's been a while. 
So I'm sure you got all these questions pent up, waiting to let them go. So I'm going to now uh, go and without further ado, start answering some of these questions because I think that, wow, there's a lot of questions already. Okay, so uh, let's go through the questions. Oh, here's a good one. What do you think of Reddit users outmaneuvering short sellers and driving up the price of GameStop stock or stonk? Listen, (laughs) so the way that our market works, that the stock market works, is largely driven by the, you're going to be shocked when I tell you this, it's largely driven by large investment firms, hedge funds, and their corporate owned media. So if they want to, for example, decide that GameStop is going to go out of existence, and and let's be clear, GameStop has been declining for quite some time because of just natural market occurrences. People are, you know, more and more of the video games that people are using are available directly for streaming, uh, so there's less need for physical media than there used to be. So, I mean, it it is something that has been slowly being edged out just by the market, but you have hedge fund investors that want to make a ton of money on the backs of people that invested in that company. So what they do is they go to the media and they announce, you know what, we're going to short sell GameStop because GameStop is dying. And then the big banks go, we too are going to short sell GameStop. Short sell means uh, sell sell it and because you think it's not going to go any higher. You think it's about to keep going lower or potentially go out of business. And everyone else should do that too. Well, they never actually say that. They just say, we're going to do that. And then the, the I'm not going to name names, but the rhymes with shmim shmamers of the world go, gotta sell GameStop, sell GameStop. And so now everyone's panicking and selling GameStop, which benefits the put options of the uh, hedge funds and the major banks. So what the, the Reddit kids decided to do is the opposite of that. They decided to say, no, let's all buy GameStop. So they go and they buy GameStop, which ruins the spread and the and the profits of the hedge funds and the institutional investors. They're going on their Robinhood app and on their retail, you know, like TD Ameritrade and stuff like that, and just buying up the stock. And it's caused GameStop and what was it, AMC Theaters, BlackBerry. Uh, what was another one? Oh, uh, oh gosh. Anyway, like a bunch of these companies. Now they're having record high profits or the highest profits they've had in decades and things like that. And uh, the hedge funds have lost, I think, somewhere around $10 billion. And that $10 billion has largely gone to these non-institutional individual Robinhood investors that are using Reddit and Twitter to get the word out. And now market manipulation is bad. Market manipulation was fine when it was hedge funds taking money from individual investors, but now that it's individual investors taking money from banks and hedge funds, now it's a problem. Now, guys, we got to stop these uh, coordinated market buys. That's going to be a problem. They're, They're squeezing these stocks. They're literally doing in reverse what's been done to them and previous generations for de- for as long as the market uh, has existed, or at least as long as as corporate media has been as prominent as it has, um, and it's just it's a glory. It is an absolute, just fantastic thing to watch. I'm so happy. Now, unfortunately, it's probably going to lead to a bunch of stupid regulations because for once, everyday people made a profit on the backs of the hedge funds. The SEC did not give a crap when it was the opposite. <laughs> 
because that's how it's largely always been. They did not care. And now there's actual talk about bailing out the hedge funds and the banks because they ended up losing their stock. So like if the individual investors had lost all their money, the SEC would go, well, you know, that's the nature of the market. Sometimes, you know, I can't guarantee that your funds are secure. But now that it's their friends in the banks and their cronies, now there's got to be regulation. Now there's got to be bailouts. I think it is beautiful. I think it is showing we do not have a free market, certainly not when it comes to stocks, but just in general. We have a system that is gamed for the incredibly powerful and wealthy, and that we need to dismantle that system in favor of people being able to make individual choices and either profit or lose as a result of it, not get bailed out, not get protected from uh, creative destruction. Uh, and frankly, I think that these uh, you know these hedge fund managers... Maybe if they weren't eating so many avocados, uh, you know, they would have been able to put aside a down payment for a new investment company. And I don't know, maybe they should just cut their hair and make some eye contact. Learn to have a firm handshake. I'm sure they'll get a good job in no time. Um, uh, let's see here. Oh, gosh, gosh, gosh. Are we going to run attack ads against new members of Congress asking people to call their congresspersons to stop the new McCarthyism? You know, it's very interesting. Uh, uh, imagine being a part of the anti-war left uh, during the, uh, you know, the, the, the 2000s and even into the, into the 90s. And, and now you've, you've gone full circle where you're now accusing anyone who was against American imperialism of being a Russian bot and a puppet of Vladimir Putin and the KGB. And it's like, yeah, this is not new. This is not new. Neoliberal uh, red baiting uh, and, and, and commie baiting is 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 not new. That's actually a pretty, actually pretty straightforward thing. Um, so yeah, no, that's new. Uh, uh, Ramon Miller. Oh, by the way, I need to be saying who asked these questions. Um, a Sophia Bryant asked the first question about GameStop. Uh, Mercedes Lim Demritowski says, "If Nemi has puppies, do you want one?" I'm not a puppy guy, but maybe, probably maybe. Probably. I love Nemi. Um, let's see. David Davis asked the question about McCarthyism. Thank you, David. Ramon Miller uh, says, what are your thoughts on the Mises Caucus? I'm actually a member of the Mises Caucus, and I was endorsed by them uh, early on in, in my uh, run for the nomination for the uh, vice presidential campaign uh, to, to be the, the, the libertarian nominee. Um, you know, here are my thoughts on Mises Caucus. I am an Austrian economist. I'm a believer in the Austrian school of economic uh, philosophy or thought. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's what it's based on. Um, and they're bringing in a lot of new people to the party and they're doing work. And, you know, if you don't like them, outwork them. Bring in more people than them. Do more work than them. Uh, I, 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 I think, and I have said this before, I've talked with the leadership of the caucus. I think... There is a balance that you have to have when welcoming in new people, because when you welcome in new people, they're not all going to be 100% libertarian. They might not even be 70% libertarian. And that stuff that they're 20, 30% not libertarian on could be really, really, really bad stuff. Frankly, if we hadn't welcomed in people like that, I wouldn't be here. Okay, when I first came to the liberty movement, I had some really bad ideas when it came to immigration. I had some really bad ideas when it came to foreign policy, specifically, you know, war and the need to stop Islamofascism. And frankly, if there hadn't been people to say, hey, you're welcome, your ideas are wrong, and, and here's why, and here's why where you agree with us, why you would also need to agree with us on this to be consistent, 
that would have never happened if they hadn't welcomed me and engaged me. It's not whitewashing. It's not welcoming. It's not, uh, it's not welcoming people and saying, oh, well, you know, it's fine if you think this way and, and we're never going to challenge you on it. But you got you to gotta have that welcoming nature to it. I, I will say there is a balance between, you know, welcoming people in and not checking and, and, and challenging their, their beliefs that are, are anti-libertarian. Uh, and being gatekeepers and telling everyone that isn't, you know, 100% libertarian, uh, which we can't even agree on what 100% libertarian means, but our idea of 100% libertarian, get out, you can't, you aren't allowed to be in here. So I, you know, I, I tend to think that they could maybe be doing more engaging on people once they're in. And I'm talking in general, because I definitely see examples where that does happen. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's a mixed bag, but overall, they're doing work, they're bringing people in. And if you don't like it, Outwork them, out bring more people in them, and uh, you know that's that's how we get things done. Um, are you running in twenty twenty four? I don't think it matters who runs in twenty twenty four if we don't get if we don't have a shot in hell on getting on the debate stage, much less winning. Uh, my focus right now is on growing the party into a formidable force that can win elections, uh, win more of the local elections that we're already winning, and start winning big elections, federal elections, White House elections, uh, st large statewide elections like governor, senator, things like that. Start winning some serious races and moving the needle towards uh, greater human liberty. And before that, because culture is, or politics is downstream of culture, we need to get more active in the cultural discussions the greater debate that's happening in this country and really around the world now. So my focus right now is getting us out there, getting us more prominent, getting the word of liberty out there because our ideas are better than anyone else's. And once they get out there, they intuitively make sense to people when we present them in a way that absolutely connects and engages them and meets them where they are. And when we do that, and when we can grow into a formidable force that can win those elections and that can affect that debate and move the needle towards greater human freedom, then whether I run or someone else runs in 2024 or 2028 or whatever, we can actually get on the debate stage. We can actually win the election or, 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 or place much higher. We can have more uh, libertarians in Congress. We can have libertarians in state legislative races. We can have libertarian governors and senators and mayors and all that stuff. Um, so that's my focus. This was never about me. Uh, this is about a movement because long after uh, really none of us are here, what will matter is what we have done, not what we did for ourselves, what we've done to, to affect people around around the country and around the world. Um, and so that's really my focus. Um, let's see here. Uh, uh, uh. Will you bring back the beard and the big black mic? Listen, this is three days of not shaving. So the beard will come back by virtue of the fact that I'd sometimes skip a, a few days of, of not shaving. Uh, the big black mic was auctioned off. Uh, to the Lees. And uh, so, no, it's not coming back. I now have a mic that's set up to not be seen. Um, has Tulsi leaned more libertarian or is it just a trap? <sighs> Do I want to upset the coconut milk mommy people? Um, yeah. So Tulsi and Rand and other... Uh, shall we say, liberty-leaning or anti-establishment-leaning Republicrats are essentially, and I hate to say it, it's all especially you AOC people, gosh, and you Ilhan Omar people, uh, and you, you Rand and Thomas Massey people, they say some amazing things. If and when their vote and their support is needed to push the Republicrat agenda, they fold every single time. 
Remember AOC complaining about this stimulus bill, how it was just a, a throwaway for the, uh, for, for the big businesses that she voted for? Rand Paul was, you know, so angry about Pompeo and, uh, you know, being the, the, the CIA director and he was going to fight them tooth and nail. Then he voted for him because they needed his vote. The reason that they keep people like this in positions of, of influence is twofold. Number one, they keep people in uh, the Republican and Democrat parties by making them feel like there are these heroes and truth tellers. Ted Cruz used to be one of them for the constitutionalists that, you know, he would fight, but then he'd never fight. He would just talk and filibuster and then fold. But it was, it's a uh, opposition theater. It's, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to fight it tooth and nail until I stop and quit and fold completely. Bernie Sanders. Every single election cycle, oh, no one's going to be, be the, we've got a system and it doesn't matter if, if, if we put one of these people up, they're just as bad as Trump. That's why I endorse him now. So it, it does that. It keeps you in the uh, Republican and Democratic parties. Uh, and then the other thing it does is that it kind of gives the libertarian stamp to those parties. Well, you know, I'm kind of libertarian. Trump did that. I, I'm somewhat libertarian. Just ask Rand Paul. It's theater. Um, let's see what else is here. What happened to my questions? Um, um, this is stuff I've already seen. Um, here's one. Connor, uh, Cudmore. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Spike question. How do you feel we can bring social conservatives into the party without being a dick? People don't seem to grasp the idea of living everyone living by their own beliefs and not legislating them onto others. Thanks. Love you, buddy. Hey, love you too. Um, so sort of what I was just talking about. We have to bring people in, meet them where they are. So for a conservative, it's probably going to be things like um, smaller, uh, lower taxes, less regulation, uh, bringing government within its constitutional limitations uh, and things like that, religious freedom. Um, but then when they get there, they're going to go, oh, wait, uh, sex work and drugs and and... LGBTQ and wait, what? And you can say, yeah, for the same reason that we think that you should be able to, uh, to live your life as you see fit, we think they should too. And they go, well, and some of them will go, well, all right, I'm not sure how I think about that, but I might stick around. Some of them will say, I don't like that. Okay, that's fine. We planted some seeds. They might come back. They might not, but worst case scenario, they leave and don't come back. Okay. Some of them say and go, hmm, well, I don't agree with that because of my religion. And we go, yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. But here's why we think that government shouldn't be involved. For the same reason we don't think they should be involved in the way you live your life, even if we don't share those beliefs or those values. Oh, again, you're not going to get all of them. But you can welcome them in enough to have that discussion. You can't have that discussion if you say, hey, Get back, bootlicking statist. We can't do that. We can't do that with people who agree with us on so many things, but they still think, you know, we should have universal health care or whatever. Bring them in. Explain why the things that they agree with us on consistently applied to health care would also mean that that's a bad idea. Or, or um, I was going to say IUD. UBI. IUD is really a personal choice. UBI or, you know, any of these things that, you know, a lot of libertarians come in and go, yeah, but I'd still like, okay, that's great. And we're not going to make you not think that anymore. But here's why you're wrong. Okay? But you can't have that conversation if you don't welcome, in, welcome them in first. Um, da, 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 da. Uh, I already answered one about Ron Paul. Uh, 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 
Uh, I'm looking for question marks, folks. Can you say Baba Booey? Baba Booey. Um, I used to think that was so funny when I was a kid. Um, Spike, how do you feel about Michael Burry's now deleted comment saying the GameStop rally is unnatural, insane, and dangerous? Uh, I'm not 100% sure who you're referring to, uh, but I'm guessing uh, that he's uh, in the established world of finance. <laughs> and he doesn't like it because they're doing it in reverse. Um, uh, how do you feel about the travel bans being reported that are expected to be placed on South Africa, UK, and other European countries, considering just a year ago, Biden was against Trump doing exactly this? Exactly. That's actually what I was going to say. So you did a great job there. Who is this that asked? Gregory Desser asked the last question, and uh, Jeff Jakubowski asked this one. Um, yeah, no, remember when they were against uh, travel bans? It was a whole election ago. So how do we put libertarians in office, Zach Allen asked. We vote for them. No, I have a show uh, on Mondays called Culture of Winning uh, on Mondays at 8 p.m. where I talk to libertarians who have been elected to office. It happens every election. Dozens, sometimes hundreds of libertarians get elected to office. And I talk to them about what you have to do. And here's the short answer, especially at the local level. They have to be engaged with their community. They have to be really good on, on two or three issues that they can message away and hammer away at. They have to have a good team around them. They have to be willing to really sacrifice the time and effort it needs to be able to get out there and get to their constituents. And they can win. It happens all the time. We just need more that can do that. And that's going to be my focus. Um, I already said Baba Booey. Uh, here's one that I wasn't allowed to talk about during the campaign. What is your stance on bringing about real reparations for the American descendants of slavery? Here's one that'll make everyone super happy and not be the least bit controversial at all. The American descendants of slavery or the, yeah, descendants of American slave, whichever, um, our due compensation for at least one thing post slavery post the slaves being freed they were supposed to be able to participate in the massive land giveaways that were happening shortly after they were freed if you if you recall uh, all the immigrants who came to the US they were able to go into the midwest and they were able to participate in these land giveaways where they were be, being given multi-acre parcels that they could then homestead uh, in order for that to happen Black people weren't allowed to participate. That was the only way it was going to get passed in, the, in, in Congress. Fast forward almost 100 years later, after World War II, they did something similar with the so-called Fair Housing Act. So they bring about uh, the, uh, uh, the housing and urban development, which takes all of the people, all of the uh, white people that they had put in the cities uh, and puts them out in the suburbs and gives them heavily subsidized housings. They pay something like 10 cents on the dollar for suburban housing. Now, the only way that could pass is uh, the only way the Dixiecrats would vote for that in the Senate and, and Congress was if it excluded black people. There are certain communities, certain suburban communities where it still says on the, uh, on the, on the deed that it can't be sold or resold or rented to black people. It still says that. Now, it's not enforceable anymore, but these are two examples. Now, you're probably saying, and I, I can sure if I look at the comments right now, I'm going to get, I didn't do that. It's not my fault. Why should I have to pay taxes for that? You didn't do that. It's not your fault, and you shouldn't have to pay taxes for it. It is the fault of the U.S. government. 
Thankfully, the U.S. government sits on tens of trillions of dollars worth of resources, including a bunch of land. So my plan is this. You take that land, you, you come up with a figure and say however many trillion dollars is going to be dispersed to people based on their percentage that they can prove of descent of, of American slave. So if you're half descent American slave, you get half of the amount that a person can get. Then you start over a course of several years selling off these government assets and distributing them. Now, at the same time, you can do something similar for natives, which would mostly just consist of giving them their land back and uh, ending Bureau of Indian Affairs and letting them do whatever they want with their property and respecting their sovereignty. But that's adjacent to this. Then you can give it to you can give this this money to the descendants of slaves. Now, two things happen here. Well, many things happen here, but the main things that happen is government also just got smaller. It owns less stuff. The other thing is government just got less expensive. African-Americans are disproportionately more likely to be poor because of a series of very understandable reasons, massive amounts of theft of their property and their opportunity and their labor, not to mention things like the war on drugs and the war on guns and things like that. Uh, and by correcting that, many of them aren't going to be reliant on social services. So you just made the cost of government less. None of this costs the taxpayers anything. In fact, it saves all of us, including black taxpayers. It saves all taxpayers money. So there's some back of the book math involved here. Before I could say, you know, this is an exact plan I would give, I would have to have very specific numbers. But this is a way that reparations can be done in a way that corrects the injustices that happen, that does not cost the taxpayer money. It actually saves the taxpayer money and it reduces and dismantles government, at least partially at the same time. This is the libertarian paradise. Um, so here, let's go with another one. Um, uh, oh, here's one. Heather SB says, how can we fix the social security issue? I am a childhood beneficiary of a social security overpayment. My mother received 60, oh, I hear this all the time. My mother received $64,000 in death benefits for my stepfather, had them revoked. And when she could repay, repay they came, when, they, when she couldn't repay, they came after me. I was six years old when she received those benefits. Now I'm legally responsible for the $64,000 because quote unquote, it was used in my benefit as a child. There definitely needs to be uh, some kind of statute of limitations uh, or, or moratorium on that kind of stuff. We're talking 64 grand to the federal government. That's a, not even a rounding error. It doesn't even matter to you. It could ruin you financially. Um, let's talk about Social Security as a whole. Social Security is a Ponzi scheme. If you and I, and you is whoever I'm pointing at right now, if you and I were to go and create a, a, a new investment fund, okay, for all these, all these kids over at Reddit to invest in, uh, and we called it... Uh, I don't know, secure social tea, whatever. Uh, we call it whatever we want, but it is li we literally just copy-paste verbatim the social security plan and started advertising it, we would immediately be arrested and prosecuted for racketeering because it's racketeering. It's a Ponzi scheme. It is a pyramid scheme. If literally any other organization in this country were to do it, they would go to jail for a very, very long period of time. But because the federal government does it, not only is it legal, but it's mandatory. And now you're probably thinking, Spike, that's fantastic. Now what are we going to do about it? Well, the answer is this. The beauty of Social Security is that the same way we got into it, 
we can get out of it. So the Cato Institute, we actually talked about this a lot during the campaign. The Cato Institute has something called the 6.2% plan. Here's what the 6.2% plan is. If you are getting social security, you get social security. If you want to stay using social security, if you want to put all of your money into social security and get the roughly half a percent interest return that you get in Social Security, which if you are like me, again, I'm Jewish, and you are doing the math on what the difference between that and what you'd make out in the, in the, in the market, even with the most conservative of investments, and then start factoring in the compounding interest, it's destroying capital. But anyway, if you want to do that, okay, you can continue doing that. If you have spent even 10 seconds thinking about it and say, you know what, I think I'd rather make the roughly 5% gains that I'll make even with a conservative uh, 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 conservative portfolio of, of investment, which means that you know, many years from now, I will have hundreds of times more money than I would if I kept it in Social Security. If you were to go and do something crazy like that, you can take all your money, you can stop investing in Social Security, okay? And whatever you've already put in, you are still due. So you won't lose that, but you can start putting your money aside here, up to 6.2% of your income, and you can invest it however you want to. You can take it out if you want. You can take it out whenever you want. You can do whatever you want with it. It's your money. I know that sounds crazy, but it's your money. You can do whatever you want with your money because it's your money. Stick with me here. It's your money. But you're probably thinking, well, Spike, how do we keep Social Security solvent? Well, here's where it gets fun. Your employer, instead of matching your uh, your 6.2% your over here, they keep paying the equivalent 6.2% into Social Security. Now, here's where the magic happens. As more and more people say, nah, I'm going to make way more money over here or invested here, and more and more employers are going, okay, well, I'll, I'll pay the 6.2% in, that means there will be more and more payers paying in without anyone taking out then or in the future. And over time through attrition, as the number of people taking out goes down, because we aren't immortal, sadly, as that goes down, and as the number of people that aren't taking social security and just having their employers pay that 6.2% into the system goes up, eventually that 6.2% that the employers have to pay starts going down to 5%, 4%, 3%. Eventually, they don't have to do it anymore. Eventually, a trust fund can be set up to pay off the remaining amount, and free Americans are able to be over here making a ton of money, way more, and we have now successfully weaned ourselves off of FDR's nightmare Ponzi scheme baby that he created. Thanks a lot, FDR. And we finally are done with it, and we did it without causing anyone to lose their benefits or to suffer in the meantime. That's the 6.2% solution. Where are we going with questions? We got questions. Um, this was a question I just answered. Um, here, here's a good one. Ryan Raymond. Uh, Spike, what would you say to people uh, who drive a left-right wedge within the Libertarian Party? So... I would say that if you agree with someone on 90% of things, maybe you should focus on that. Especially when we agree 100% that the direction we're headed is the absolute wrong direction. That we need to make a complete 180 and start traveling in this direction for quite some time. And if we get to a point where now we go, huh, well now, 
now I disagree on where we should be heading because we've we've reached almost full libertopia and now we can start arguing, okay? I give you the right, I, I re- let you reserve the right to argue with folks in the future once we have accomplished everything we want to accomplish. The other thing I will say is that the difference between the left, let's say even the far left and the far right, when authoritarianism is involved, when the coercion of the government is involved, is the difference in the Cold War or the war between the Nazis and the Soviets. You know, because now you, instead of letting people live the way that they want and decide for themselves, you're not just arguing over differences of opinion, you're arguing over who wins and who gets to impose their side on the other. When you remove that power and when you let people live their own lives, which all libertarians, pretty much all libertarians want us to do, then the difference between even the furthest left and the furthest right becomes preferences of how they'd like to voluntarily interact with others. So why are we arguing about this? When we agree that we're headed in the wrong direction, when we agree that we want to head in another direction, and when we agree that people should be able to do what they want... Great, we'll have a debate about it. We can debate all day long about which side's better. But in the meantime, let's go work together because actual non-hypothetical, non-abstract things are happening right now outside of your window and in, and in your life as well. So let's work together. Um, da, da, da. Uh, hey, Spike, how do you convince staunch conservatives that open immigration is better for all of us in the long run? I focus on the fact that the founders intended uh, open immigration. Uh, and that it was uh, it was uh, Democrats and, and uh, labor unionists who pushed for immigration restrictions. And then I give them a minute to process that. Um, and I mean, you can get into the statistics about how it's better economically, but they don't they don't care about that. People don't really care about stats. They care about what they believe to be their first principles. Well, conservatives tend to believe that the founders made the best system ever. Okay, well, the founders intended totally open immigration. But the compromise we're willing to make, at least for now, is, you know, more of an Ellis Island system. But the founders intended that you can come and go as you please. And the reason you can come and go as you please is because who is the government to tell you where you can go and who you can allow on your property? You know, I don't want government in charge of my health care. I don't want government to tell me what, what guns I can or cannot own. I certainly don't want them to tell me who I can let on my property, who I can host and hire or house on my property, who I can marry. That's none of their business at all. So you don't get them all, but you get some. Uh, would our tax dollars go to Planned Parenthood? Absolutely not. Uh, under a libertarian administration, you're, you're, first of all, that that's not even. That there's no reason that the government should even be involved in that at any level, especially federal. And uh, it's certainly not something that people find reprehensible. And for a similar reason, we wouldn't use tax dollars for war. Uh, do you think it's possible to convert left wing into the Gold Party? It's possible to get anyone. Oh, I for, I keep it's Andrew. I keep forgetting to say who's asking the question. Um, Raymond Salazar. Uh, oh, well, here's, here's the first one. Um, Michael Dion says, Spike, uh, can we just click our heels three times and get a libertarian in office? It's worth a shot. Eddie Bohm, I think it's Bohm, says, are you familiar with Indiana HB 1134, uh, which is, uh, attempting to kick libertarians off of, uh, off of the ballot? And I, that question disappeared. Where am I comments so many you guys are doing so great with comments that i'm losing them uh because they're just coming in so fast 
but so yes, I have heard of that. And it's, it, you know why it happened because Don Rainwater just ate their lunch and, uh, you know, got way more. He, he was spending pennies on the dollars that they were spending and was able to get like 13%. And they're horrified because he's now building a coalition and probably could beat them the next time around. So, of course, they're scared. Um, and this is the thing. We can't wait for this system to benefit us because... The system is created by Republicrats. They want us out of office. They want to make sure that they, Republicans and Democrats agree on two things. Number one is every day is a special new day to screw over the American people just a little bit more than they did the day before. And number two is that by whatever means they can, they have to stop anyone else from being able to provide a viable alternative to their thievery. They agree that they have to rob the American people of any alternative to being robbed blind by them to profit the cronies who put them in office. So, of course, they do something like this. We have to work past them. We can't wait for the system to benefit us. We can't wait for the Commission on Presidential Debates to throw us a bone and let us on. We have to grow this thing at the grassroots level and become such a force that they can't ignore us, that they can't out-legislate us, that we simply take over. Um... Are you in favor of the fair tax? I am in favor of any tax that has a 0% rate. Uh, where did Joe Jorgensen go? We can ask her the next time she's online. Uh, no, Joe Joe went back to teaching. Joe was never very uh, uh, active in social media before the campaign. During the campaign, she had a team running her social media. Uh, she was busy campaigning. And now she's back teaching full time. Um, how do you feel about fish and game licenses and tags? I think that the, any licensing is the government taking your rights from you and then licensing it back, selling it back to you uh, for a nominal fee. So I'm against it. That's bad. Uh, did you start growing your own vegetables yet? I have not, but I probably should. Rainwater kicked ass. Yeah, he did. Uh, how do you feel about a system of taxation that is structured similar, similarly to crowdfunding? I am in favor of any form of revenue generation that is voluntary in nature. And I've, I've talked about uh, uh, transaction fees, voluntary transaction fees, where you could choose to pay for, you know, you buy your phone from, uh, uh, from you know, Best Buy or whatever, and uh, there's a 5% fee on it. And if you decide not to pay it, and if Best Buy decides not to pay it, no one gets in any trouble. But if something's wrong with the phone, if it's a, if it's a dud, and I go, hey, uh, Best Buy, the phone's not working. What, what happened? It, it never turned on. They go, I don't know what to tell you. I can't sue them. I can't try to, you know, I can't try to go after them because I didn't pay the fee. So I can't, I, it's basically almost like a warranty. I can't use the government's protection on that. Um, and you would apply that to any kind of transaction. What that does is it makes it voluntary, which means that the percentage that the government takes has to be less than what we perceive it to be worth, which means they can't just rob us all blind. You, Here's what taxation is. Imagine if you and I were to go and start a business and that business model, the way that we funded that business model was to go around our neighborhood and hold guns to everyone's heads and say, give us what we think you owe us. And then we're going to come back later and give you some stuff if we think you deserve it. But you're going to have to fill this form out to see if you're eligible because you know I don't want to give. We can't give it to everyone. That would be that'd be socialism. And so that system is inherently not just immoral, but it's corrupt, and it's not going to lead to good values. It's not going to. I, I'm not going to be a good steward of what I have. I can just rob you more and more whenever I want to. What? That's not going to lead a a a a system based on a protection racket and extortion under the threat of violence is not going to get you good outcomes. It's not going to be valuable. So you switch it around, make it voluntary, make it something that they actually have to prove they have value. And here's one: let other people compete with them. 
That'll help. Uh, spike taxation is theft, but how do we pay for our military without taxes? Exactly that. We use things like transaction fees, voluntary funding, so that the government can actually has to be accountable for the money they bring in because we can choose not to give it to them if their fee's too high, just like literally any other organization except for government. Everyone else has to prove that they have value and demonstrate it and not rob people, except for government and government cronies, which is really just an extension of government. If you and I have been able to manage our whole lives to live through voluntary funding, then so can they. Uh, hey, Spike, the party seems to have, Ryan Titchen asks, uh, the party seems to have many symbols and Americans like their symbols. Which one is the best? I don't know, man. I, you know, I, and Ryan, I'm sorry if you're, if you're a woman, but most Ryans are men. Um, I don't know, Ryan. Um, I like the porcupine. I also like the torch. Um, you know, that black and just the black and gold is really like the ANCAP thing. I really like that. It's not technically a symbol. I just like it. Um, Kevin King says rainwater absolutely should have won in Indiana. He destroyed on the debates. I was in Indianapolis, uh, watching the, at the, at the rainwater debate party for the first debate. He killed that debate when he came back from the debate and we were still partying. I said, you just demolished that debate. He's like, did I do okay? And I'm like, you didn't just do okay. You just complete, you took that debate and you monkey stomped it. Uh, he, he did amazing. Um, uh, oh, here's one. Jamie vote. I think I'm saying that correctly. Uh, transgender girls competing in girls sports in school. I am not an expert on this field. Here's what I know. Neither is Joe Biden. It shouldn't be up to government to decide these things. Let the individual schools and districts and leagues and whatever else, let them make these decisions and then let the parents decide if they go, hey, you know what, that's fair. Or if they go, oh, that's not fair on either side of the debate and then let them freely associate. I know that sounds insane to let grown adults decide what they have their children participate in or grown adults that are participating in sports decide what they want to participate in and the different leagues and associations making their choices uh, uh, as, as a result of that. I know that sounds like insanity, but that's actually how it should be. Uh, in in our neighboring state, North Carolina, I live in South Carolina. In North Carolina, there was a city, I forget which city, um, I think it was Charlotte. Let's say Charlotte, I forget which city. They, they passed a, a rule saying that all uh, bathrooms had to allow uh, transgender people in the bathroom of their, of their choice. Okay, and then they, they had to even if it went against their religious beliefs or whatever. Uh, and then the state government, because Charlotte, I think it was Charlotte, is, is pretty progressive. The state government said, no, we're going to ban it where you can't let transgender people in the bathroom. Well, neither side ever had any kind of enforcement mechanism. There was no genital check cops or anything like that. It was just really just virtue signaling on both sides. But here's... What I kept asking, and people would turn around and go, huh, that makes sense. I'd say, why don't you let whoever owns the bathroom decide that? And people would go, yeah. Well, hey, wait, what if they don't let trans people in the bathroom? I go, well, then the trans people and their supporters and allies can go elsewhere. Oh, my goodness. 
imagine if we let people make choices for themselves, almost like they're grown. And you might say, oh, we can't allow that. We can't let people make choices for themselves. They can't be trusted. Well, if people can't be trusted with freedom and power over their own lives, why do you think that people can be trusted with freedom and power over other people's lives? And if they can be trusted with freedom and power over other people's lives, why can't they be trusted with freedom and power over their lives? And then you might be saying, well, yeah, but that's not everyone. There are some people who can be trusted with that. Okay, who decides that? The people that you just said can't be trusted? Anyway, uh, let's see here. Where do we go? Uh, Phil Saunier, I hope I'm saying that, or Saunier, I don't know. Uh, how far out of control do you suspect the military-industrial complex is? The military-industrial complex is in total control of everything. Okay, you have a this you know very woke progressive media that is also shilling for things like the genocide in Yemen, because that shows that black, black and brown lives matter, huh? Yeah, it's it. They're in total and complete control. Uh, Joe Biden. We just had an election where almost no one talked about the fact on either side at the national level mentioned the fact that we were currently embroiled in multiple conflicts and we're currently funding a genocide in Yemen. Didn't even come up. And if someone brought it up like Tulsi Gabbard, they were browbeaten to death about being a Putin uh, puppet. Uh, you're there for the, I bet the Ruskies would like that. This is where we are. They're in total and complete control. Views on veterans affairs. Uh, two. Two things. First of all, how odd that nationalized healthcare, which is what the VA is, sucks. That's the first thing. Second of all, uh, we have people who take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution and the American people against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Then they are often sent overseas to fight and kill and possibly die for the benefit of those foreign and domestic enemies. And then they come home, they often come home, if they are fortunate enough to come home not in a flag-draped casket, they often come home with PTSD, traumatic brain injuries, whiplash injuries, hearing injuries, all sorts of stuff. Uh, not to mention the things they're exposed to that they're not even told about until years or decades later, sometimes after after they're dead. And then uh, then they're given the worst form of healthcare in this country, the VA, which is also the most expensive form of healthcare in this country. The VA spends more money per patient than any other form of healthcare in this country. And I know what you're thinking, how? If you know someone that's in the VA, more than likely, you or if you've been in the VA had to deal with them, you know the nightmare stories. You know about waiting years, sometimes decades, to be able to prove your percentage of disability before you can actually get any care. And then when you do finally have access to the care, you're put on wait list for months, sometimes years. You have to travel sometimes to neighboring states to get care. Meanwhile, you're driving past however many medical centers, but you can't go to those because those aren't the VA, okay? And you are subjected to a horrific healthcare system that we have in this country, the VA. Here was, here was Joe and my plan uh, when we were running, and it's still my plan. End the VA and give them their money. Just give the amount of money that it costs for them to be able to get comprehensive, no premium, no out-of-pocket care so that they can go wherever they want. They don't have to prove percentage of disability. They don't have to spend years. 23 a day of them don't have to commit suicide. 
They don't end up stuck, uh, uh, hooked on street drugs like heroin to deal with their pain issues because they can't get uh, in front of a doctor and actually get proper pain management. And it also saves taxpayers money because giving them the money to simply get their own health care costs less than the stupid system we have set up for them right now where most of the money or a good bit of the money is spent making them go through hoops to ultimately try to deny them care. I mean, you want to talk about a cynical, disgusting, Kafka-esque system where they spend more money to deny you care than it would cost to just give you the care. I know you're shocked to hear that that's how a government system works, but... That's all I can tell you. So, and the VA, give them their money. Um, uh, thoughts on Friedman's suggestions. Uh, Alicia Jean or Jean asked thoughts on Friedman's suggestion of universal basic income in the form of negative income tax. Uh, when you create a system whereby government is largely campaigning on how much money they're going to give everyone every month, welcome to hyperinflation. Could UBI temporarily be better than the the the, the uh, uh, um, means tested welfare system we have now? Probably it's probably more streamlined. But here's the problem: when everyone's getting money, and that becomes the main thing everyone talks about, you've now created a system where instead of now everyone's going to run on, "Hey, I'm Spike Cohen, and you're going to get five thousand a year month if you vote for me." And then Bernie Sanders goes, Spike Cohen doesn't care about you. I'm going to give you $6,000 a month. That was a terrible Bernie Sanders. Uh, but then someone else comes up and goes, these two people, look at these chuckleheads. They hate you. I'm going to give you $8,000. Now, while that's happening, the other thing that's happening is tens of trillions of dollars have to be printed out to hand off to everyone, okay? And we already know what happens when you print out a bunch of money and expand the monetary supply. You reduce the value of that currency, which makes the cost of living go up. The more you expand it, the more the cost of living goes up. So not only are politicians geared towards promising you more and more, but they have to promise you more and more because the money that you're getting increasingly isn't enough to be able to make ends meet. That's how hyperinflation happens. So no, UBI, especially long-term, is a, a terrible, terrible idea. Um, Amanda Beckwith, how would you suggest changing the police force? Hold them accountable. Democrats and Republicans run on this stupid idea of, well, we need to give them more money for training so they don't kill people. You don't need training not to murder someone. You need to hold them accountable when they do wrong. If you and I could walk around and do whatever the hell we want and know that we aren't going to be held accountable to it, I'd like to think that I'd be just as kind as I am. But the reality is a lot of people, possibly even myself, wouldn't. If we're not going to be held accountable at all, and if instead an entire union and system is going to close ranks around me and protect me every time I do anything wrong or hurt anyone, my disincentive goes away. I'm now largely incentivized to do whatever I want. We see how this plays out. Uh, Derek Chauvin, the man who killed George Floyd, he had, I believe, what was it, 16 or 17 other complaints against him, including wrongful death. He may have already murdered someone else before he killed George Floyd. And the Minneapolis Police Department, when they looked at Derek Chauvin, they made the same cost-benefit analysis that police departments and government agencies around this country make when they look at the bad apples in their bunch. They went, holy crap, this guy sucks. We should probably get rid of him. But if we do that, the police unions are going to have a field day. We're going to have to fight them tooth and nail. We're going to have to spend probably hundreds of thousands of dollars, and we probably won't be able to get rid of them. 
And it doesn't cost us, thanks to qualified immunity, it doesn't cost him or us or the unions anything to keep him on the force. So we'll just wait for him to murder someone. Then we can we can try him and then, then you know, put him in jail and then, then he won't be here anymore. If instead we got rid of qualified immunity, and also we need to get rid of absolute immunity for politicians and prosecutors and judges, but that's a whole other subject. You get rid of qualified immunity, and now the Minneapolis Police Department, they go, whoa, 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 we got to get rid of this guy before he does something bad because it's going to cost us a fortune. And the unions say, we got to get rid of this guy before he costs us a fortune by doing something bad. And it creates a culture of accountability because it turns out if you hold people accountable, they're accountable. And they act accountable. And they self-regulate. The libertarian answer is that when you hold bad actors accountable, they tend to self-regulate. Not because they're suddenly angelic beings, because they don't want to lose everything. So let's just hold them accountable. Oh, gosh. You guys, I... I, I uh, let's see here. Yes, I agree with Eric July about the roads. Uh... Joe, make trips. Oh, uh, made a donation. Thank you. Thoughts on the uh, coronavirus vaccine? Uh, well, two things. Let's first talk about the distribution, which has been mostly stupid. In the places that have done well with distribution, like Florida, uh, a country that's done well is uh, Israel and, and other countries and states that have done well. Their distribution plan has been this. If you want the vaccine, first come, first serve, come and get it. Now, I think they had some priority, initial priority for like first responders and things like that. But then it was, hey, if you want to come get it, get the vaccine, come and get it. This is a vaccine that you have to get twice over the course of several weeks. Uh, and then you have to come back every few months to get it again. This is not a one shot thing. You are going to have to just put vaccines in people's arms, whoever wants them. And if they don't want it, leave them the hell alone because they don't want it. So, you know, we have some states where they're holding it for the healthcare workers. 60% of the healthcare workers do not want it. We'll talk about more on that later, uh, why they don't want it. They don't want it. And then you got elderly people and even just people in general going, hey, I'd like it. They go, no, 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 you can't have it. You're not in line yet. Your, your place hasn't been called yet. And then they end up having to throw the vaccine away because it doesn't last that long out of dry ice. And you can't keep it in dry ice storage indefinitely, millions of doses. So they end up throwing them out. Put them in people's arms if they want them. So... Why are there so many people that don't want them? More pointedly, why will I not be taking it, at least right now? The COVID vaccine is based on a new technology called mRNA. And if it works as promised, it will completely revolutionize vaccination and possibly other, uh, not just for viruses, but for other illnesses as well. There's currently an mRNA uh, vaccine in the works for MS, which I have. I have MS and I would love be able to take a shot of something that ends or greatly reduces my MS by just taking it that one time or maybe every couple of years or something like that. mRNA has the potential of being an absolute game changer in the world of saving people's lives, but we don't know yet because this is the first time it's been used on humans. In fact, it's still currently in clinical trials and will be until 2023. There isn't a single vaccine specialist or immunologist or epidemiologist who will swear on a Bible that they know for certain that the COVID vaccine's side effects for the general public won't end up proving worse in the long run than the virus itself. Now, I'm not spreading fear and propaganda. There's a good chance that it's going to be much better than the virus itself. So far, uh, the at least the initial safety studies have shown us that it looks like it's going to be much safer. So I'm, I'm certainly not telling you not to do it. I am saying I'm not going to do it, and here's why. I have an autoimmune disease. My immune system acts weird about stuff like milk and gluten. It's stuff that most people you can have, 
And my my immune system, when it gets exposed to normal stuff, says, hey, I think this thing over here is a foreign pathogen, but that thing is my brain. So I'm not going to play games with it. Uh, there is zero safety data uh, about this virus, this vaccine specific to people with autoimmune issues. And there probably won't be until it's until it's complete. Uh, and again, the, the, the actual the date when drug makers will be able to say we know for certain uh, that this thing long term is going to be safer uh, than the virus itself uh, is for another two years. So, again, all of the preliminary preliminary data shows that it is more than likely going to be way safer, okay, than the virus itself. Go take it. If you want to take it, if you feel like, you know, for whatever reason, you feel like it's it's much more of a risk to potentially get COVID than to than to, you know, than to take the vaccine, take the vaccine. I'm not saying don't take the vaccine. What I am saying is no one should be forced to take the vaccine and that we should stop shaming people including doctors who are refusing the vaccine. Whether it's because of some outlandish idea that isn't true or whether it's because of doctors saying, hey, look, uh, it's still in trials. No, thank you. Now, even though it's still in trials, I think that it should be out there. I believe in right to try. I believe that anyone who wants to take it should be able to take it. Go take it. And I hope it works well. I hope that mRNA, not just for this, but for everything else, I hope that mRNA proves to be the technology that it promises, that it potentially has the promise to be because it could save the lives of hundreds of millions of people over the next couple decades not just with this with this virus but with all sorts of stuff and improve the livelihoods of people there's so much potential i am not pooping this virus this vaccine i am saying that especially after being able to campaign across the country 35 states 75 campaign stops uh you know interacting with tens of thousands of people across the country and being able to stay covid negative by using basic health and safety precautions i'm good so but you should take it if you want to uh, Wayward Shinobi gave $2. Thank you so much. Uh, another $2 says, uh, what should be done with Indian reservations? First of all, anything that has been promised to the natives, I don't care if there's stuff sitting on it. It was promised to them. Give it to them. Number one. Number two, we need to uh, end the BIA, Bureau of Indian Affairs, and we need to end this system where natives on reservations, if they want to do anything, they have to get permission and wait months and sometimes years to get permission. It's things like uh, adding more uh, trucks to their 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 fleet for their farm, or or trying to sublet a property. There are many reservations; they're not even allowed to own the property, so they can't even sublet it. Uh, or you know, adding more uh, uh, cattle to their to their cattle, or adding more uh, you know bushes to their their crops. But then if they go and just do it, you know, they have to wait months and years to get approval, and sometimes they're told no. But if they go ahead and just do it, within days, the feds show up and, and tear it down, proving that they could have responded faster. They just don't see any need to. Uh, so we need to do that. We need to give them their, uh, we need to give them the land that was promised them back. And we need to let them have full autonomy over it and not try to tell them how to use it. It is their land. It was their land before there was such a thing as the United States of America. And we need to be uh, cognizant and respecting of that. Uh, there are also things we need to do, like we need to uh, free anyone involved with the American Indian movement that was, uh, you know, put put in these political trials and 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 tried for trumped up charges. People like Leonard Peltier um, and and others. 
Um, we also need to, uh, I think we need to rescind the uh, Congressional Medals of Honor for the people that participated in the, uh, the, the slaughter of innocents on wounded knee. There's a ton of things we should be doing to make right uh, with, the, with the natives, but, that, but that's one of them. Um, let's see. Oh, man, it's 10. I've been doing this for two hours. Holy crap. Um, here, let me go down to the bottom. I'm, I'm going to answer, I don't know, three more questions. And then, oh, but I started at nine, so it's only been an hour. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Um, uh, Spike, oh, here's a good one. Jeremy Thomas, uh, what are your thoughts on trade with China? Should we be trading with a country that utilizes slave labor? We have to look at why this happened in the first place. It is not, all other things being equal, it is not less expensive to make things on the other side of the planet, even using slave labor, and then shipping it all the way back here and having to deal with all the costs related to shipping it and the security of that shipping and everything else and the, the fuel and everything. The only way that that can make more sense financially is if the regulatory environment here is so bad that the cost of doing business here and making things here and hiring people here has become prohibitively expensive, so they have to do it over there. Now, here's where the real kicker is. They did it intentionally. So the big corporations realized that, they, especially the big manufacturers, they realized they didn't want to have to compete with smaller competitors here in America. So they got their favorite politicians in office, and over the next few years and decades, they passed regulation after regulation after regulation to protect the American people. Environmental regulations, labor regulations, uh, so-called safety regulations. Anyone who works in a field that has to deal with OSHA knows that the vast majority of that stuff isn't keeping you safe, just making your job harder, right? Yeah, I, you know better than me. All these regulations that make it increasingly prohibitively expensive to do business here because they could afford to do it, but their smaller competitors could not. Eventually, they reached a point where it got so high that even they couldn't afford to do business here. And they were perfectly fine with that because all along they intended to, to move because they were the only ones that could afford to do it to spend the hundreds of millions of dollars and in some cases billions of dollars to move their base of operations over to foreign dictatorships like China and other countries, set up sl sweatshop slave labor, uh, uh, labor over there, and then use the U.S. military to protect their shipments from piracy all the way back here. And then, in case that wasn't enough, then they can use politicians to convince you that the best way to deal with that is tariffs. Except you pay the tariffs. And so does anyone who's still make, do, making anything here. They have to pay the tariffs unless they move to another country that doesn't have the tariffs. This is how they got you. And as a result of this, now, not only did you lose your job, not only are you dealing and your community dealing with the economic issues, the social issues, all the bad things that come from entire communities being un unable to work, entire industries fleeing the U.S. Or, or just crumbling at the vine and not being able to stay in business. Not only all that stuff is happening. Not only is there the environmental impact of things being made on the other side of the planet and shipped all the way back here in tankers, exponentially increasing the carbon footprint on almost everything that you buy, but now... China and all these other foreign dictatorships are getting more and more rich and more and more powerful and more and more aggressive on the world stage. They're getting so aggressive, they're almost as bad as our government. That's a whole other subject. This is what happens when the powerful 
create rules to protect you, which really do no such thing. What they do is enshrine them as the only people who can afford to operate in the toxic regulatory environment that they have created. They turn us all into their consumers and their wage slaves. They rob us of the ability to be able to thrive on our own, to be able to make our own businesses, to be able to threaten their precious market share. Because God forbid they not turn into trillionaires. You know, right now they're only 100 billionaires. Uh, You know, this is what happens. Again, the answer is get rid of all that nonsense. Dismantle the crony system they've created so that businesses can do business here and afford to make things in America and hire Americans and you know, make things here and you know, be able to, to regrow these communities. And many of those jobs will also come back. Some of those jobs won't come back because they'll just go out of business over there. And I'm perfectly fine with cronies going out of business. That's how you deal with China. That's how you deal with trade in general. But the answer is not to tell people they can't trade with whom they wish. And the answer certainly isn't to put a punitive sales tax, which is essentially what a tariff is. It's a value-added tax that's paid by the consumer on the people who lost their jobs. That's the last people that should be punished. Um, Oh, this is an interesting question. Uh, Alicia Marie uh, says, do you know how many people who are diagnosed with MS test positive for Lyme and that insurance won't cover long-term treatment for people with chronic Lyme at Lyme Literate Docs and that Lab 257 on Plum Island was doing biowarfare testing and there were many outbreaks? It's near Lyme, Connecticut, hence the origin of Lyme disease. I don't know what that last part was, but uh, yes, I know that a lot of people, one of the, uh, one of the uh, triggers that, causes, that can cause MS is a Lyme infection. Um, I've been tested both for regular Lyme and the chronic Lyme, which is kind of controversial, but I've been tested for that. Always, uh, always came back, uh, negative, but I did get Epstein-Barr, uh, and, uh, and it's been, uh, um, uh, what's it called? It's been, uh, dormant for quite some time, but Epstein-Barr, which I think 20 or 30% of Americans have Epstein-Barr or something like that, that can be a trigger for MS. So it's a potential that it was when I got Epstein-Barr or that we'll never know what the trigger was. That could have been some environmental exposure or something like that. Autoimmune things are very, very weird. One thing I'm really excited about is this mRNA technology. In another couple of years, if it's looking like these things are really as safe as they say they are and they're able to actually make these you know, these, these mRNA proteins that can go in and, and, and make fixes to your auto, autoimmune, that, I mean, that'd be fantastic. In the meantime, I'm on a very good treatment that keeps it uh um that keeps it at bay so i'm very grateful for that i've been stable uh for um gosh four years now yeah um do you think snowden and assange will ever be pardoned as soon as uh, as libertarians are in office snowden assange ross ulbricht reality winner um there are so many people, all the victims of the, the, the wars on victimless crimes. Uh, there's so many people that need to be let free. Um, Chelsea Manning, that's another one. Uh, what's a good last question? Well, I don't know, because it's only 10.10, so I can do some more. Back when I thought it was two hours, I was thinking, oh, it's probably two more. Uh Kirsten Willits Frisbee, and I apologize, guys, if I'm not saying your name right. Um, opioid restrictions for chronic pain patients. I've had 17, 17 surgeries, and I do not take opioids regularly, but when my uh, shibby no longer covers my pain, I am required to go to a pain management MD, which is fine by me. Probably is that even 
Problem is that even pain doctors are pulling you back from prescribing from fear of the DEA and losing their license. How can the regs be less a blanket policy and put back in the treating physician's hand? By getting rid of them entirely. Your doctor working with you should be able to decide whatever the hell you want to put in your body to help with your pain. Now, let's talk about opioids. There have been a bunch of studies on opioids. When managed correctly, the rate of of, uh, suicide, the rate of overdose, the rate of chronic health issues related to proper opioid usage is actually not that high. Now, it's lower than it would be for cannabis, which I, I, maybe not for you, but for many people, cannabis actually works better and has even less risk. But properly managed by doctors, opioid abuse is very uncommon. Okay, here's where the problem comes in. Federal government went, well, no, I see a problem here. People are free to make decisions about opioids. We're going to put an end to that. So now there are these lifetime limitations or rolling limitations. You can't have more than a certain number of opioids in a certain period of time. So now, if you want to get your opioids, you're not working with your doctor in a properly managed way. You're going and buying it from people that are pushing pills on you. So now it's not being managed. And you can't tell your doctor because they're required to report it because you're breaking federal law. So you got to figure it out yourself. And one day you go, you know what? Is way cheaper than these opioids that I'm paying a fortune for? Heroin. It's the same thing. And it's so much cheaper. You know why it's cheaper? Because there's a glut in the market. Do you know why there's a glut in the market? Might have something to do with the Pentagon protecting poppy fields in Afghanistan. I don't know. It might have something to do with that. But anyway, so now you're using street drugs or you're getting your, your opioids outside of the care of a doctor. So now you're trying to figure it out on your own. And if you're on heroin, you're almost assuredly going to end up overdosing. That's not a truck that you can properly manage. And you're paying out of pocket. And now you're dealing with all the the issues that come with getting addicted to a a very, very hard drug like that. Ending the war on drugs and letting people get the care they need is the only way forward, period. It reduces the number of overdoses. It reduces the amount of addiction. It gets patients the care that they need. It gets government the hell out of it. It stops protecting the big crony corporations so that you can get care from whomever you wish to have. And it lets people out of prisons. It ends the cartelization of the provision of drugs so that you don't have these, these gangs and, and, and street gangs and, and, uh, and cartels that are providing it. Those cartels aren't now able to bribe and pay off politicians and law enforcement agents, which creates even more uh, uh, corruption. We saw this with alcohol. We saw this with prohibition of alcohol. They took a problem, which is drunkenness, and they turned it into a national crisis. They took two-bit thugs like Al Capone and Joe Kennedy, who previous to that they were, you know, bit, you know, two-bit hoods in their neighborhoods, you know, running the numbers and numbers racket and the and the protection racket, and they turned them into billionaires. They made them the most powerful people on this planet. The Kennedy dynasty started with a rum runner. Anyway, so and the war on drugs. Um, oh, here we go. Steve Helmick, 9mm or 45 ACP. I spent most of my life being told that 45s were made because they had way more stopping power than 9mm. And I was even told that they were developed during the Spanish-American War because they found that it was the only you could knock down the, the, the charging troops or something like that. I don't even know if that's true, but that's what I was told. 
And that's the, what we've been told, right? That 45s have more stopping power. Now we're being told that that was never true. And we're being told that uh, that nine millimeters uh, and, and that even if it ever was true now with all the changes in the in the technology of the actual rounds themselves, nine millimeters are able to stop someone every bit as much as 45s and they have less recoil because there's less powder. Uh, and also they are um, able to hold more capacity uh, because um, uh, because they're thinner so you can hold more in a, in a magazine. Uh, and just overall, they're just better. And I'm told that that's the case. And sure, it's hard when you've been, you know, they say when you, when you're in a cult, it takes up to 20 years to truly leave it. And I'm, I just, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right to say, yeah, nine millimeters better for, for, you know, for the, the plurality of reasons, but I'm not ready to say it. Um, in a, uh, Amber Clem, Clem ask in a libertarian majority government, what do you believe the role of the government and president should be? Uh, <laughs> so if there is to be a government, and we'll, we'll leave that open to question, but if there is to be a government, its only purpose at any level, state, local, federal, whatever, should be protecting the lives, the rights, and the property of the people therein under its presumed jurisdiction. That's it. Now, some of you more edgy kids might be saying, but Spike, if the way government operates is through taxation and extortion and threats of violence, then isn't it a violation of the lives and rights and property of the people? We'll talk about that later. If a government is to exist, then, uh, then that is all it should be doing. Now, at the federal level, really all it should be doing is managing foreign relations and keeping uh, good relations between the states and uh, allowing for the full faith and credit uh, between the states. Now, are, is that, are they needed for that? I don't know. But that's all they should be doing. What would the president do? Whatever Congress tells him to, and only that, and only if it lines up within the con within the the uh, statutory confinements of the Constitution. And that's it. That's it. That's all the president should be doing. That's it. Let's see. Uh, Tony Nunez says, uh, yeah, I'm all for drug, drug decrim, but what about Reddit machine go brewer? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh man, it's been the last 24 hours watching these kids just completely school the hedge funds. It's more than likely going to lead to some really bad regulation, but you know, you like to you like to see the bad guys get it in the in the jaw every once in a while. Um Here's a good one. Nathan Ward. I asked it earlier on, but you had a ton of comments rolling in. Yeah, I am. There's I mean, I'm maybe answering 1% of the questions coming in. Probably not even. Um uh, how would a libertarian administration handle wildlife conservation and land management funds for federally protected lands used for hunting and fishing without having a licensing system to obtain funds for these things? And here's the answer. The federal government should not be owning lands that it's not directly using. That's actually in the Constitution. The Constitution says that the U.S. military can own federal government property like, like uh, uh, post offices, which... I don't know why the federal government's involved in mail, but but post offices, uh, 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 train, uh, oh, what was it called? 
rail 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 lines or something like something that isn't even used anymore but it's in there um and uh washington dc and military bases and that's it that's it shouldn't own 80 percent of nevada nevada sorry it shouldn't own uh man i got i got hell in nevada on that um it it, it shouldn't own all this stuff and only should it not own it because people go oh yeah okay great it shouldn't own it but but what if they do the best they suck they suck at managing it. They do a terrible, terrible job at managing what they have. There was like 25 years it took them to finally pass a bill that funded uh, their crum- uh, re- rebuilding their crumbling infrastructure. There were entire like parks that were unusable because the bridges were you know were unsafe, and so there were just signs everywhere saying "Don't use anything," and you know the the, the bears took over or whatever. Like it, it's it's terrible. Like they've done a terrible job. They decimated, I forget where it was. I think it was in like Wyoming or something. They decimated an entire ecosystem because it bothered them that the wolves were killing everything. So they got rid of all the wolves and then the whole system crumbled because it turns out you need wolves. So they had to bring wolves back. That was a whole thing, right? And then there's so many examples. The wildfires that are happening right now because instead of just letting fires naturally happen, they put them out every single freaking time and then they don't let anyone come in to clear up the debris that's building up. So then these freaking massive wildfires happen. If you go back to the writings of the people like like uh, Lewis and Clark and 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 the, the homesteaders and people that that traveled through the, uh, the wilderness of the U.S. to go from east to west coast, it wasn't all built up. There were large trees with lots of space in between them and regular rolling fires that happen. This was a natural part of the, the nature natural landscape in the U.S. So then what the federal government does is takes all the land over and says, yeah, these are parks now. No fires allowed, nature. So when a, a fire happens, they, they put out the fire. They tell people, only you can stop forest fires. So if you're out there and you see a fire, stop the fire. Okay, well, what if it was a lightning fire? No, 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 lightning, lightning is now illegal. As a result of this, we see when a fire happens, there's now so much underbrush that it doesn't just you know kill the, the smaller trees and the underbrush and the saplings. It kills the big trees too. It sets them on fire too and leads to these massive things. So all in all... Government has proven, as it often does, that it sucks at managing property. I, before this show, wrote a comprehensive list of things government doesn't suck at. I I couldn't get anything, okay? Listen, the best way to do this, at the very least, it should be handled at the state level. And I would actually argue that private conservationists would do a far better job of managing their property than the federal government does. Uh, there's an example in, I believe it's Louisiana, where the, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think, believe it's the Audubon Society. This gets environmentalists, some environmentalists angry. I believe it's the Audubon Society, and I believe it's Louisiana, so it, it, don't fact check me because I think that's the case. Here's what they did. They wanted to be able to manage the, the, their, 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 their conservation area. So they, they leased out a small amount of it to energy developers to drill. Now, this happens in and around parks as well. So this isn't anything new. But that was able to fully fund all their, their efforts. And that money has gone into other conservation efforts. So not only, not only are they able to manage that property themselves, but they're expanding their properties. And it's on the back 
of a voluntary commercial transaction, which also contributes to our energy grid. Now, you know, I know a lot of environmentalists would say that's terrible. Well, who's going to fund it? We already saw government has is doing similar things, but the difference is they're not actually managing the property because they're waiting to be able to rob you in a couple decades when there's some major crisis because a bunch of people died on a bridge or something like that because that's how government operates through crisis. So why not just let private interests manage it and conserve it because it's their property and they want to conserve it for future generations far better than the government has. That would be my answer. Um... So this is being fact-checked by PolitiFact. Don't, don't joke about that. They'll fact-check your joke. Um, Stephen Tremblay, uh, how, would, how would you deal with big tech to preserve the liberty of people stuck amid monopoly? So much info to abandon, to move elsewhere now. I think there's two things. Number one, we have to find other, other uh, platforms. Uh, one that I use a lot is Float. Um, and F-L-O-T-E dot app. Uh, and they also have an app on the uh, Play Store or you can sideload the app from uh, from Apple or just use the browser, uh, use your phone browser to, to use Float. Um, we have to, we can't, we have spent too long relying on people who are openly hostile to our ideas uh, or at some point became openly hostile to our ideas and hoping that they'd be nice to us again. And there's no incentive for them to do so until we start leaving and finally making our own thing. Also, just in general, uh, the regulatory structure of uh, of how who can operate businesses in this country is such that it's geared toward big businesses so that smaller competitors can't thrive. So what happens is smaller companies, they realize they can't thrive long-term. So what they do is they come up with a technology that works as a proof of concept in the hopes that it gets bought out or licensed by a bigger player. So that's what happens. These smaller companies come out with these cool ideas and then Facebook and uh, uh, Google and or Alphabet, the, the parent company of Google, and uh, uh, Twitter and these other companies, they, they buy them out. They, 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 they buy the, the technology and utilize it. Um, the only way this is going to change is we need to deregulate uh, the just the overall market environment that allows for more competition from smaller competitors. And then the other thing we need to do is just we need to our, on our own start finding our own things and, and building our own thing. We have to get out uh, from under the grip of people who they don't like our opinions. And, and the reality is it's their platform. They can do whatever they want with it. it it's their platform, but we, we don't have to use it. We have, to, we have to, not just we don't have to use it, we have to work towards building something else. Utilize it as much as we can to pull people in to using something else. Um, people talk a lot about Section 230. Section 230 is a good thing. Section 230 clarifies that if someone does something illegal on a platform or something that they're held liable for, only they are liable for it, the platform isn't. That's good. If you make it so that YouTube can get sued anytime something that they could be held liable for happens on their platform, you think they're censoring you now? They will destroy you. And the smaller competitors who can't afford the the, the controls that the bigger competitor, that the, that the Facebooks and the Twitters can, and that can't afford an army of attorneys to fight liability, they'll just go out of business. So definitely don't want to do that. Oh, gosh. Um... Kenneth Ebel says, why are all the major cryptocurrencies crashing today? Honestly, I think a lot of the crypto people are pulling out from crypto to get involved in this stock stuff that's happening. So they'll be back. I mean, I, I believe crypto is the future. Uh, I guarantee you it's crashed down to, 
you know, much higher than it was before this last uh, jump started. So I, I, the day to day fluctuations really don't don't bother me. Of course, I lost all of my crypto in a in a tragic. Yeah, so th- this is actually probably a good time to buy crypto. Um, by the way, someone earlier on mentioned uh, Josh Ferguson, MySpace. Tom loved us all, and we abandoned him. Yeah, I know. I know. But meanwhile, he then sold MySpace, and he's a never have to work again in his life. Um, uh, someone early on mentioned the triple parentheses in my title, my fellow Americans, and they said, you know, that's a that's a uh, echo symbol for for Jews. Yeah, that's why I did it. Um, my entire, I've been a Jew on the internet since the early nineties. So God, almost 30 years. And I'm old. Anyway, deal with that existential crisis later. Many, many years, like over 25 years, I have been a Jew on the internet. And if you're a recent entry to being a Jew on the internet, I've seen everything you've seen and see stuff that you can't even really see anymore because Facebook will take it down before it happens. Um, I've seen it all. I've seen the triple parentheses. I've seen the Oy vey le goyim no. I've seen the most six gorillion. I've seen, you know, I've seen it all. I've seen all of the, I've seen and heard all of the different things. And again, back in the days of AOL chat and freaking, you know, uh, uh, was it was IRC? And, you know, Yahoo chat and like all these, like, you know, and the forums, I saw all sorts of horrific things and, and, and terrible, terrible jokes about it. And I knew early on when I wanted to start, uh, this, uh, this, start this podcast, I knew what would happen. Yeah. AOL and some messenger, but there was another one, Ashley, uh, IRC or I was an ICP, <laughs> but, uh, might've been ICP. Um, uh, you know, I knew when I would start this that what would happen. Uh, so, uh, David Davis, what's the difference between a Jew on the internet and a Gentile on the internet? Massive amounts of guilt. Um, but so I saw that. You know, I knew that when I started this, they'd come out of the woodwork. Oh, Spike Cohen, huh? The Goyim, no, shut it down. I knew all that would happen, right? So the was it ICQ? Okay, yeah, it was ICQ. I thought it was like I heard. Anyway, so I, 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 so I, I, I said, you know what? I'm gonna head him off in the past. Here it is. This is the thing, and I've got to listen to the Jew and all. Yeah, I'm a Jew. Ha ha. Funny, funny. And then when, so I've every once in a while when someone will come on and be like, oh, yeah, Spike. I'm like, yeah, schmuck. We get it. Yes, I'm Jewish. Thank you. I've heard everything since bef- that you're about to say before you were born. So go away. Or sit there and have everyone laugh at you because no one cares. Like no one did. This is so old and stupid. So I reclaimed it and said it's mine now. And if you want to do it now, you look like an idiot and a schmuck and a and a, and a prick. So that's why I did that. It is intentional. I do knew that. I, I knew IRC was a thing. Internet relay chat. So um. So yeah. No. I. So I. I. I have enveloped that. And I mean, I. I I've got America's Jew here. Like I've claimed this. This is my thing. I've had to go through being Jewish my whole life and getting all those jokes, being in the deep south with like four other Jews, and now I get to do this. It's my thing. I don't even care if you use it. It's not even it's my thing and you can't use it. I don't care if you use it. Go use it. Put triple parenthesis. Like it's the stupidest thing. Imagine thinking that you can hurt me with 
punctuation marks. I'll show you. Oh, like this, this, when you disempower people. Now, if instead I went, oh my gosh, oh no. And you see this a lot on Twitter. People will add the, the triple parentheses to their names when they're Jewish or even just an ally to Jews and be like, yeah, schmuck, what do you want? Same thing here. That That's what it is. Um, nuclear energy, yes. Uh, any conversation about reducing the carbon footprint uh, while while not destroying us economically and 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 massively increasing the cost of energy, any conversation about that that is not centered around getting rid of the absurd, burdensome regulations that are keeping us from being able to build new and more innovative and even safer and newer and smaller versions of nuclear power plants in this country is not a serious discussion and should be treated as what it is. And there's no coincidence that Republicans talk about fossil fuels and fracking, and the Democrats talk about renewables, which really just mean we're going to take. Uh, nuclear power off the grid, add these renewables that are not stable and cannot reliably provide to an ongoing energy grid need. So we end up having to burn more fossil fuels to offset it. Both of them are contributing to big oil because they're both in big oil's pocket. Get rid of the regulations, bring nuclear back. It is safer. Statistically, it is safer. It is cleaner. It is cheaper and it is more plentiful and stable a form of energy than any other one that exists. Not even clo- It's not even close. By orders of magnitude, it is more of all those things than any other form of available energy right now. And at this point, if we want to get to the nuclear fusions, if we want to get to the renewables that actually are sustainable and can sustain a grid, it's going to take massive amounts of research and development, which means lots and lots of plentiful, cheap energy to be able to try to pursue these things, which you can get from nuclear. That's the answer to that. And it's more efficient, yes. Um, uh, Jessica Shore Smalley says Ashkenazi. Yes, I am a pale Jew. Yes. Um, I'm actually part Sephardic though. Yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy Lee says that's what I talked about on Kennedy tonight. We actually talked about nuclear for 30 seconds. It's crazy. It's like a five minute hit on Kennedy or six minute hit or whatever it is. And you have to like say all this stuff. Thorium. Thank you, Ryan. Thorium. 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 So you know how like the byproduct, the toxic bo- waste byproduct of, uh, of nuclear power plants, of uh, uranium and plutonium, uh, is it lasts for thousands or tens of thousands of years that it's half-life of radioactivity. For thorium, it's like a couple hundred years. And the way that thorium salt reactor, uh, uh, and forgive me because I, I'm not a I'm not a nuclear engineer, but the way the thorium salt reactor, it's basically like a, a, a giant. Um, I, I, the way it works is if it has any kind of uh, uh, instability, it just goes offline and becomes cold, and it does. There's not a meltdown. There's no capacity for a meltdown, um, and because of its nature, they can be smaller. So you can have like uh, small installation plants and then it can be self-contained so that when the waste is done you can pretty much just like put it on a on a shipping container and and ship it away to somewhere uh for safe disposal where again it only lasts for a couple hundred years it doesn't last for thousands of years so thorium yes it's someone's it's th- someone's tagging james ray yes you should tag james ray thorium uh, energy from thorium is is absolutely a great thing uh david riddle spike you're such a stud oh thank you Li- yes liquid f- fluoride thorium salt reactors look that up lftr um, but there are 
but there are regulations that make it cost prohibitive to be able to do it. Why? Because of big oil. That's why. Uh, Robert Shanley or Shanley, uh, how many more times will you be on Kennedy? Why are the segments so short? At this point, it looks like I'm a regular on Kennedy, which is really cool. The segments are short because that's the nature of the show. She has, uh, like an hour long show or a 50 minute long show. Uh, but that, but, um, uh, oh, you did get the mic. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, but you know, she wants to talk about multiple things. So she has a, you know, a panel that's 10 minutes and a guest that's six minutes and a guest that's four minutes and a guest that's this, and she has her monologue. So, you know, it's not, it's not like this where I'm just sitting here talking to you. If in this even, you know, hour and a half that I'm spending with you, I were to, you know, have 15 guests on, they'd all get like 10 minutes or whatever. It's it's just, it's the nature of, of cable news and just, and, 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 uh, broadcast news in general. I'm glad you got the mic. Um, Thorium reactors require a plutonium seed. It's not rea- it's not fiss- fissile by itself. So if you remove the seed, the fission reactor stops itself. Exactly, Adam. It basically, if things go wonky, you could there's like a safety switch you can pull, pretty much. Uh, uh, Ryan Campbell, any chance you would do Shapiro's Sunday special? I'd be happy to. Um, uh, Brandon Davis, what are your thoughts on raising the federal win- minimum wage? The reason that big businesses want to raise the federal minimum wage is because they know that it will be the final death knell for their smaller competitors. They can afford it. Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, uh, uh, Netflix, most of them are, are, are paying most of their employers more than that anyway. Uh, but they're they're fine with increasing it because now, the, uh, now their competitors can't afford it. They go out of business. Um, the real problem here is that our money has lost so much value over time. What used to be, you know, what, what used to cost, you know, $50 for groceries would now cost $250. For gro- in fact, it's actually worse than that. When the federal reserve was created in 1913 in that 17 years or almost 18 years now, since it was created, your money has lost 98% of its value. Let me say that this way. Imagine if your money was worth 50 times more than it is now. And imagine if, because it's worth 50 times more than it is now, you were able to save so much, which means it's now worth even more than that because of compounding interest and you could have even more money and you could, you could be like your grandparents who worked over the summer and could buy a car with it or get out of college, start working and immediately be able to buy a house. And you go, that's not attainable now. It's not attainable now because they have destroyed the value of your money with the Federal Reserve and other disastrous economic and monetary policies. Fix that. Fix that. And now you can afford things. Now the cost of living starts going down. And you don't have to talk about putting small mom and pops and small providers entirely out of business because they can't afford to pay everyone $15. Make your money worth more instead of jacking up the price of it. Get rid of these regulations. And in addition to that, you know how else you can get paid more? Basic economics. The reason why so many people are having to rely on a minimum wage increase is because of supply and demand. Right now, the demand for American labor, thanks to all these regulations we've been talking about, is pretty low. And as a result of that, the supply of Americans that are looking for gainful employment is high. That's called a glut. Do the opposite. Get rid of those job-killing regulations so that the demand for labor, now it's more affordable to do business here than anywhere else. It's more affordable to hire people here and to make things here. Now, the demand for your labor goes up. And as a result, the supply of people looking for good work goes down because they've already got good work or they can make their own business or whatever. They're not looking for jobs. 
Now you've got where the, the, the cost goes up. You've got the opposite of a glut. You've got a, you've got a bull run. Now, now the, the, the uh, uh, demand is outstripping the supply and uh, employers are tripping over themselves to hire you. Now you can expect more money. Now you can demand uh, things like um, unionization, collective bargaining. Now you can demand more compensation and, 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 and not just direct pay, but you know uh, 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 child care and, and pensions and insurance and things like that. Now you can do that, not because the government got involved, but just because it's so there's more businesses growing. There's more businesses coming here to hire you instead of leaving and not and taking your jobs with them. There's ones coming and bringing jobs for you to for you to fill. And now you can charge more because your labor is actually more valuable. While at the same time, we reduce the cost of living by ending mon, uh, inflationary monetary supply. So the money you're getting is worth more. More money that's worth more. Mo money, mo money, mo money. I it saddens me that probably eighty percent of you don't even know what that means. Josh Ferguson, and I, I'm going to take, I think, what is it, 1, 10.40 a.m. At some point, my wife's going to come in here and ask me why I'm still doing this. Um, I'm going to ask answer just a couple more questions. Um, in your opinion, is returning to the gold standard even achievable at this point of how deep we've dug our hole? You know, I, I think that there's so many more dynamic solutions than gold right now, like crypto. I think that we just leave it up to the market to decide, why is the government deciding what money is? Why is the government forcing you to use their monopoly money and then printing more of that money out, which they lend to themselves and make you and future generations that aren't even born yet pay off over the next 40 years with interest while simultaneously increasing the money supply, which reduces the value of your money? Oh, I know, because they have a monopoly and there's nothing you can do about it. So get them out of it. Let providers trip over themselves to provide you with the best currency. Because they want a piece of the action. They don't want you to go with the other guy. They want you to go with them. That's how you get good value. What is your take on gun control? Uh, the only My thoughts on common sense gun control uh, is that the American people should be armed with whatever the hell they want. And we should get together and decide what we allow the government to have. Um, I was recently asked, you know, do you think that we should... Uh, have rules that uh, limit the uh, amount of the, the, the gun ownership of people who are the most likely to uh, to commit murder. And I said, yes, we should definitely limit uh, government's uh, weaponry. Um, let's see here. Super Bowl picks. I don't even know who's in it, man. <laughs> Brad, I'm sorry. I It's not. Uh, yeah, see, I, I got people dropping off because it's like almost 11. Uh, Idaho Libertarian, Chance, good to, good to meet you. Idaho is one of the few states I didn't visit. I, I did 35 states, and, uh, and, and one of the 15 I didn't was Idaho, and I can't wait to get there. Um, Dogecoin, hey, sure. I, I, <laughs> you know, Dogecoin, GameStop coin. They should make GameStop coin. That'll probably be the future. Um, Uh, thoughts on Second Amendment sanctuary counties. I'm fine with it. Uh, any county, cities, whatever that wants to confound the federal government and force them to comply with the, the constitutional limitations they're supposed to live within, that's great. I'd prefer to have a Second Amendment sanctuary country, uh, but, you know, I'll take a county. Uh, Alaska? 
I like, yes. Ah, I'm going to Alaska uh, April uh, 17th, 16th, 17th, and I believe 18th. I will be at Gold Rush in, uh, hosted in Wasilla, Alaska by the Libertarian Party of Arkansas. I will be up there talking about building a culture of winning. Spike, when are you and your wife coming back to Florida? Hopefully soon, Gregory. Hopefully very soon. Um, game stonk coin. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. I'll take, I'll do one more. Oh, when are you coming back to India? The, the answer for all of these is as soon as I possibly can. Uh, if you want to see me come out, get in touch with your state libertarian affiliate and ask them to, you know, fly me out to your convention. Uh, or you can make your own thing and invite me out. Um, Oh, let's end on. Oh, well, here. So Adam White, this is an easy one. Adam says, what are your thoughts on legislation like the Second Amendment Preservation Act that's being debated on in Missouri? Too long didn't read. It invalidates all federal gun control and allows people to sue tyrants. I like it. I am all for that, Adam. So here is the one that I'm going to end on because I want to end big. I was waiting to end big. And it's actually two questions I got. They're both the same thing. Both Michael Stackpole and Nicole Carter Gray, in their own different ways, asked, how do we get costs down through the healthcare sector? You're going to be shocked if you've been watching this whole thing, folks. But the problem is that government has created a system that robs us for the benefit of major crony corporations. Are you shocked yet? Here, let's explain what the problem is. So before... FDR, thanks again, FDR. Before FDR, the way that it worked was we had what was called a price equilibrium. Price equilibrium. If a doctor charged more than their patients could afford, they didn't have any patients because the patients couldn't afford it. Or they might have one or two patients, but they'd have more patients if they could bring the price down to what people can afford. That's called a price equilibrium. And for those who couldn't afford it, Mutual aid and charity could take care of those things. Or even a small social safety net provided by government, not my preferred solution, but absolutely could deal with that that minority of people who couldn't afford health care. Then we can thank FDR. Here's what he did. During World War II, the greatest employer of people by far was the federal government. Almost everyone was working for the government for the war effort. So the federal government stepped in. FDR threatened wage caps. Maximum wages to try to keep the cost down. And so the companies that were providing the war effort, proving again that when demand for labor is high and supply of labor is low, you got to raise your compensation. They went, you can't do this to us. We're struggling to find someone that can work for us right now. So here's how they got around it. Instead of offering higher wages, which they couldn't or looked like they weren't going to be able to, they started offering benefits, pensions, childcare, comprehensive health insurance. Now, up until then, the only health insurance that was out there was called catastrophic insurance. You paid a small, basically a nuisance fee. Uh, And if you had a catastrophic health event, a a cancer or a major accident or something like that, they would come in and pay for that. But your day-to-day, you know, standard uh, doctor care, you would just pay for that out of pocket. The doctors charge what you could afford. And they could charge what you could afford because they didn't have a massive mountain of regulators and administrators and in-house administrators and insurance red tape bureaucrats and all these other people that have to get paid. They didn't have to do any of that. They just got the best price for the stuff that they use to give you the best price for your value. 
thanks to health insurance. Now you're not paying for your health care. Now your insurance company's paying for your health care and you're having to pay them a certain amount every single month, right? So you try to use as much as you can and you're not the one paying for it. That drives up costs and it removes the price equilibrium because now that doctor, they can, it's not what you can afford. It's what a multi-billion dollar company can afford. So then the government got involved and said, well, the problem here is that you're paying too much for, you're charging more than uh, what you're paying for things. We're going to introduce cost plus. You can only charge a certain percent more than what you're paying for stuff. That's genius. Here's what happens now. Instead of me paying $2 for a saline bag and charging you 6 bucks for it, they go, well, that's, that's profiteering. Now... I buy a $500 saline bag and charge you $550 for it and make 50 bucks because I can only charge a certain percentage more than I paid. So I intentionally pay more for everything. And again, it's not based on what you can afford. It's based on what your insurance company can afford. And so there's one thing after the next that they add to this, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, patent protections for drugs that have been around longer than any of us have been alive. Um, uh, what else? Uh, uh, certificate of need laws that allow major crony, uh, healthcare companies, uh, health, pro- health management companies to basically crowd out their smaller competitors, not let them uh, expand their medical centers or build new hospitals or medical centers or whatever. Uh, and, the uh, uh, laws not allowing, did you, did you know your doctor's not allowed to give you health care for free? That happened in 2003 or two, early 2000s. They get all these things in place so that now the average American family cannot afford health care, even with government subsidization. Guess who's making a fortune off of that? The cronies. Guess who will make a fortune if we switch to Medicare for all? The cronies. It's the same system, except now they only pay for it with tax dollars and future debt, which means they're just money machine goes brrr, and they're just going to print out a bunch of money and make your kids and grandkids pay for it. And by the time they get around, the whole thing will probably crumble. And now not only are they paying for healthcare out of pocket, but they're paying off your debts. Schmuck. Not you. This is a bad system. Imagine the way that you get, uh, let's compare to a chicken sandwich. Okay, something really benign. If you don't like chicken, I apologize. Chicken sandwich. The way you buy a chicken sandwich is you go, hmm, I want a chicken sandwich. Now, if I get in, if I go to uh, Popeye's, it costs this much, but it's a really good sandwich. If I go to Chick-fil-A, it costs this much, but man, that's a really good sandwich. I don't really have a lot of money, but if I go to McDonald's, uh, I can get a chicken sandwich. It's not that, not that great, but it's, you know, it's a buck 25 or whatever it is now. That's kind of cheap, but you know, or I could go to the grocery store and go and get all my old stuff. I don't really have time for that. I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A, Bojangles, Popeye's, whatever. Okay. You go in, you say, Hey, I'd like a chicken sandwich. They go, Hey, great news. We got chicken sandwiches. Here you go. This is going to be the amount that you already knew it was before you got here. Or maybe you didn't know, but you had an idea and you, and you look at the price sheet and it says right there up at the thing, how much the chicken sandwich is. You go, wow, this is great. Okay. Yes, I am schwitzing. Uh, and, but imagine if we used, if we bought sandwich, chicken sandwiches, the way that we buy healthcare in this country, you go into the doc, you go into your doctor, you say, I want a chicken sandwich. I'm going to have to make some calls. You find out which chicken sandwich providers are covered by your chicken sandwich insurance. And you, you look up 
which ones have the best ratings. None of them are good, but you know, I guess I'll go to this one. It's closest to me. And you call and say, yes, I'd like a chicken sandwich. And they say, okay, we'll see you uh, tomorrow at 4 p.m. Don't be late. So you have to wait till tomorrow. You get in, maybe next week. You get in finally. You're in a big line, people. You get in, you're going, because there aren't nearly as many chicken sandwich stores because uh, most of them can't afford the regulatory structure that's been created, uh, regulatory environment. So you go in, you go up, you say, I'd like a chicken sandwich. And they go, okay. Uh, and you go, how much is that? And they go, we don't know. What you, you have to give us your insurance. You go, okay, fine. I got Blue Cross Blue Chicken. And they go, all right, okay. And they go, okay, this is the... Uh, this is the, uh, the, the, the BCBC HMO plan. Uh, we're going to run this through. Uh, going to need your insurance, and, uh, and, or we're going to need your license uh, and your um, Social Security number. We're going to run it through, uh, and we're going we're gonna to hook you up with a chicken sandwich now. And you go in, and they give you the sandwich. You go, gosh, this sandwich is terrible. Am I going to die from the sandwich? And they go, no, uh, it has had trials, uh, and it's, it looks like you should be okay. And you go, okay. And you eat it. You don't feel good. You don't like it very much, but at least you've had sustenance and you won't die um six weeks later you find out that your chicken sandwich cost 580 dollars but thankfully your insurance company is going to cover 80 percent of that so you only have to pay 116 dollars and you go wow can you imagine if i had to buy chicken on the open market i'd be screwed i can't afford chicken sandwiches that's the system that we have right now for healthcare. i want healthcare to be as regulated as chicken sandwiches that's my answer to that Get the cronies out of it. Get rid of the regulatory structure. Stop making money for powerful people. Stop letting them fleece and rob from you. Get rid of the regulations that drive you to them. And now when you go to the doctor, they go, here's what we need to do. Here's how much it's going to cost. Would you like to do it with me? And you go, I think I'm going to go to someone else. You get another free consultation from someone else. You get a couple different doctors telling you what you need. You get the best decision. You make the best value-based decision. Who is providing the best value for you? And then you go based on that. And it's going to be much more affordable. And it isn't going to run up trillions of dollars of debt for people that aren't even born yet. We talk about taxation without representation in this country. We are running up debt that will have to be paid off from tax revenue from people that don't, aren't alive yet. That If that isn't taxation without representation, what the hell is? Get the cronies out of it, put the power back in the hands of the people, and we live better lives. That is the libertarian way. We recognize that people do best when they are most free. When you are able, empowered with your money and your freedom and your opportunities and your power to make decisions for yourself in free association with other individuals Acting in a free market, a market and a people set free, you are able to have better outcomes because someone a thousand miles or hundreds or thousands of miles away, even if they were had the best of intentions, are never going to be able to know as well as you what you need. And with that kind of power, they're not going to have the best of intentions. We see the people that are in power right now. And people often say to me, well, how can we trust libertarians? Because we're not going to go there and take the power and go, wow, we can run this better. We're going to dismantle the whole thing. I am running on a platform, or I was running on a platform last year. Libertarians run on a platform of saying, we don't know what you need. We just want to give it back to you so you can go do it yourself. Now, how do we do that? We have to win. We have to win more local elections. We have to win more statewide elections. We have to start winning federal elections. How do we do that? We get our ideas out into the public. We, we grow at the grassroots level. If you have not already done so and you are watching this, join the Libertarian Party. Go to lp.org slash join. Join the party now. 
then go and find your state and local affiliates or get in touch with your state affiliate and see if they have a local affiliate in your area. If they don't have a local affiliate in your area, start one of your own. They will give you the resources to do it. If they do have a local affiliate in your area, join your local affiliate. I get so many people saying, what can I do in my area? I don't know. Your local affiliates and your state affiliates have no shortage of things that you can help them with. If you feel so compelled to run for office, they will give you the resources to run for office. If you feel so compelled to just help spread the message, they'll give you the resources to do that. If you feel so compelled to help someone else run for office, they'll help you with that. Go and get involved. We can win. And when we win, then our ideas are no longer just these like hypothetical things. Like, Wouldn't it be great if we could end the Fed and end the war? We can actually end the Fed. We can actually end the wars. We can actually set people free from cages. We can actually set this damn country free and start a snowball effect across this planet. Libertarians are fighting for nothing less than a world set free in our time. Our time is now, and you are the power that will do it. Folks, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of My Fellow Americans. I'm so happy to have had you on, and I'm so, I hope that you enjoyed yourself. Um, I will be back next Wednesday for an episode of My Fellow Americans. I will be interviewing uh, a man by the name of Chris Roofer, who is a, uh, a libertarian business owner who has come up with the absolute coolest business model uh, that has almost no managers in it. And by empowering his workers to make decisions based on what they need, they are their own procurement managers. They are their own HR people. It's, it's, it's amazing. I can't wait to have them on. That'll be next Wednesday, same spike place, same spike time right here Wednesdays at eight. Actually, it's a different spike time because we started on at nine Eastern. It's usually eight Eastern, but the Kennedy thing, uh, I, 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 I'll delay by an hour for Kennedy. Um, and also join me next Tuesday at 8 for the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where Matt Wright and I parse through the week's events uh, with the cheer and aplomb of the 2020 Wonder Boys that we are. 2021. 2021. Anyway, tune in. Tuesday at 8, Muddy Waters of Freedom. Wednesday at 8, My Fellow Americans. Oh, and on Monday, let's start this over. Next Monday at 8, tune in. Uh, right here for Spike, Comer, Spike Cohen's Culture of Winning, where I interview libertarians who have been elected to office to talk about how they won office and to build a blueprint for how more libertarians can win office. Wonder of wonders. Uh, my next guest is Paul Robbins Jr. Oh, we will be talking about his races. Um, and then, and uh, yeah, exactly. It's like 2021 Durr Boys. It's not it's good. Then, so that's on Monday. Then on Tuesday, the Muddy Waters of Freedom, the 2020, just tune in. Uh, and then Wednesdays at 8 Right back here, same spike place, one hour earlier spike time for the next episode of My Fellow Americans. Folks, I am so happy to have you on. I wish I could do this longer. I absolutely cannot. I haven't eaten in quite a while. But I hope that you had a great time. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. I'm Spike Cohen, and you are the power. God bless, guys.
my skin, my friend. In reality, you are my kin. Though I view the world through another's eyes, if you slide in my kicks, it might fit. We might just unite and come together, become hybrid, at the least slightly like-minded. Indeed, the life I've lived brings light to kindness. All you need is a sign. Put a cease to the crimes. Put an ease to the minds like mine. Sometimes darkness is all I find. You know what they say about an eye for an eye in a time with the blind be the blind. Who am I to deny? I would cry when a loved one dies. I recognize that body outside with a hole in the body that was alive. Now they find them with chalk outline. Find out how, but you never know why. It ain't even make it to the news at night. It ain't even make it to the news at night. That's why sister, mother, father, brother, son. That's what I'm on. All these years I close my eyes. Open up the only find. I'm in line. There's a pointless murder happening all the time. Either lose your life or mine. Caught up in the first inside. That ain't how it started. Nah, how were we supposed to survive? There's a war going on outside. Who would want to raise a child? Whom the throne is flashing by? Now you have to say goodbye when you watch them all.